What's up, everybody? It's Roman Gennaro of Empire Sports Talk coming to you on a very chilly Saturday here in Florida. Hence the hockey jersey. Gotta stay warm, but let's get right on, right to this. We're going to go through mostly NFL with a couple other things tacked on at the end here, but let's get started. The NFL offseason is, is in full swing for most teams. We only have eight left in the playoffs. We'll get to that in a minute. So coaching searches have already begun. We we only have news on a couple of them. I've talked about the what what, what I think certain coaches and things should do for the last couple episodes because it's just something that needs to be talked about when you get to this point this point in the year. But only two jobs have been secured so far, and that is. Antonio Pierce finally getting named the Raiders head coach in Vegas. That should have happened the day after the season, honestly. Um, there, the, there are rules about having to conduct coaching searches uh, and doing other interviews, but I do not think that is the case. We we heard last week how for the Patriots, if you if you write it into a contract that someone's a successor you don't have to do other coaching searches, which is why Gerard Mayo was named the head coach so quickly. And I believe there are similar rules when it comes to interims. Uh, if if you're just going to promote them, you're going to do it. But I don't think that was the case. I think, I think Mark Davis was kicking the tires because he was tempted to do again what he did to Rich, Rich Passaccia two years before, where even though Rich Passaccia deserved it, he wanted the newer, shinier toy. Uh, so so he went looking, he went sniffing around Belichick and, and Harbaugh and, and the other names, and why wouldn't you? But I think his 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 bluff was called when when players like Max Crosby and Josh Jacobs said if Antonio Pierce doesn't get this job, I'm going to request a trade. Max Crosby came right out and say it. Max Crosby is the leader of that defense. He is one of the most fearsome defenders. In the NFL, that's not a guy you want to lose because you chose the wrong head coach. And, and and when you look at somebody like Josh Jacobs, who was ready to leave the Raiders a year ago with all the running back contract stuff that was going on, completely changed his tune when Antonio Pierce took over the team at, after the firing of, of Josh McDaniels. Completely changed his tune. Wanted to stay. Wanted wants to work out an extension. All this sort of stuff. You look at that, and that's why it's obvious to me that Antonio Pierce should have gotten the job from the moment the season ended, because you took it. You you took a Raiders team that was doing nothing, and to suddenly without their starting quarterback, without Jimmy Garoppolo, who I can't remember if he'd gotten injured or benched. It, it doesn't really matter, who with a backup quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, nearly turned the Raiders into a playoff team. If they, if it hadn't been for that 3 to nothing loss to Minnesota, they would have been in it at the end. And they weren't going to make noise in the playoffs if they had gotten there. They didn't get there. It doesn't matter. But to turn the team we saw at the start of the year into a formidable opponent at the end of the year and have all your players step up and say, this is the guy. I, I don't even know why you're thinking about hiring anybody else. You've made that decision once. You've made that mistake once. It, it backfired horribly, which is what got you into the situation. Antonio Pierce should have been the guy. Antonio Pierce is now the guy. It's It's been fun to talk about, oh, if, if 
if the Raiders got McCar got uh, Harbaugh, you know, he's got a he's got a uh, relationship with Tom Brady, and then they have a middle of the first round pick, and JJ McCarthy's right there. It's fun to talk about, but it never should have been anyone but Antonio Pierce. Glad glad that that got figured out. The more head scratching news here is that well, before I get to that, let me say I have spent the last couple of weeks talking about and if you follow us on social media you've seen that i've even put out some some images and some some content about it is that there are still some coaches that don't have jobs that 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 have not been hired yet uh that have gone through interviews and i think uh, and i want to touch on them real quick the the odds for jim harbaugh are overwhelmingly tipped toward the charges at this point i think that's the right move i think Jim Harbaugh has garnered a, a reputation of being sort of a, a quarterback whisperer. He was Andrew Luck's coach at Stanford, and Andrew Luck is one of the best uh, prospects we've seen ever come into the NFL draft from the quarterback position. He he went to San Francisco and resurrected Alex Smith's career, turned him from a, from, from a bust into one of the most accurate passers in NFL history. He took Colin Kaepernick to the Super Bowl. He went to Michigan and turned J.J. McCarthy into a dang near Heisman finalist and a national champion. This guy is a quarterback whisperer. And the one thing we've seen from the Chargers, they have Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is supremely talented. But the Chargers, for many years, and I'll get to this in a bit, the Chargers as a franchise for many years have not been able to win the big games. And... Justin Herbert was no exception, and I don't think that's necessarily Justin Herbert's fault. I think, you know, as the quarterback, you shoulder a lot of the blame for playoff losses and big game losses, but Brandon Staley was a horrific coach uh, during his time with the Chargers, and that franchise has has, has had a history of, of rough runs with coaches, and so if if Harbaugh if that deal gets finalized and Harbaugh becomes the Chargers head coach, I think it's the I think it's a match made in heaven uh, with Harbaugh and and Herbert. I think um, I can see that I can see the T-shirts now, Harbert, um, and I think it's a perfect match. I think the Chargers have enough skill players around Justin Herbert that Jim Harbaugh can come in and they're an instant playoff team. You know, I, I know the Chargers have a lot of, a lot of those key players are free agents, including Austin Eckler and, and uh, Joey Bosa, but those are guys you have to bring back. And I think, I think if, I think if Jim Harbaugh gets hired, much like we saw with Josh Jacobs changing his tune uh, with the Raiders after Antonio Pierce came in, I think a lot of those players will be like, yeah, I'll, I'll come back because this is going to be really exciting. And I think that I, I thought that was the obvious choice from, from moment one. And I still do. And it looks like the odds are overwhelmingly in favor of Jim Harbaugh becoming the Chargers coach. Bill Belichick has completed a second interview with the Atlanta Falcons. And I've given this a lot of thought. Look, originally, I didn't think it was a fit. I, you know, we've talked a lot about current NFL coaches who are having success because they are the perfect fit for their franchise. And they kind of embody the, like the feel of the city and the feel of the franchise that Dan Campbell, Mike McDaniel, D'Amico Ryans. But 
the idea of Belichick to the Falcons didn't make a whole lot of sense because they were young and exciting and innovative, and Bill Belichick is none of those things. Uh, he he's he's the greatest NFL head coach ever. He's 15 wins away from proving that statistically. But he's you know the last few years in New England, their offense hasn't looked very good. The defense has been serviceable because Bill's a defensive guy, but but the offense hasn't looked very good. It's looked pretty stagnant. Mac Jones has looked like a huge mistake. Bailey Zappi not much better. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's like, well, the the Patriots of the last few years and the Falcons of this year, even though they didn't make the playoffs, you see the beginnings of something really exciting in Atlanta. And it just didn't seem to be uh, the right fit. But then I thought about it some more this week. And I thought about if, if, if Bill goes to Atlanta and, and let me say that Bill has not interviewed with any other team. So it looks like it's going to be Atlanta or not, or not coaching at all this year. So, but, but I will say that I thought about Tom Brady when he left the Patriots and went to Tampa and we kind of saw a different Tom Brady in Tampa. We saw, you know, he, he started doing commercials. He, you know, he famously doesn't consume alcohol or, or, or eat sugar or anything. And when they won the Super Bowl in Tampa, he's on the float. He's maybe a little bit inebriated, having a good time. We, we see the Tom we hadn't seen before. We see almost like retirement. Tom, but still on the field, he's having a good time. He's, it's not, it's not all business anymore. It's about, it's about, you know, going out with with a bang and having some fun. And I thought about it and I was like, maybe that's what, maybe that's what Bill's doing. Maybe he's like, I want to go down, get some sunshine, get out of the New England winter, go to an exciting offense that I can come in and mold I get me a quarterback win a Super Bowl and just just hang out for a couple of years because Bill's not going to be he's not going to build he's not there to build a culture he's not there to to bring the Patriot way to Atlanta because he's not going to be around for 24 years this time it's going to be you know two three years probably and then he'll call it he's 71 years old he's 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 not he's not going to hang around Atlanta for a long period of time but with players like Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson and, and and some of the defensive players they have and just the, the the roster they're beginning to construct, it's really exciting. You bring somebody like Bill in that can put discipline into these put some more discipline into these guys. And I think this is a this is the division was wide open this year with with Atlanta having Arthur Smith as coach and, and Desmond Ritter as quarterback um so 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 let's sit let's pretend for a minute that bill belichick gets the job in atlanta chicago drafts caleb williams therefore making justin fields available for a trade they go out and get justin fields suddenly it goes from arthur smith and desmond ritter on the verge of the playoffs to bill belichick and justin fields in a wide open division um and and and, and it's hard not to see that and think yeah they they've got it covered but I, I thought about it and I was like, maybe this is Bill Belichick's version of, 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 of Tom, where like Tom shows up, gets to Tampa, shows up, uh, walks into the wrong house, having a good time, doing commercials, playing a lot looser, you know, having some fun on, 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 on the float at the Super Bowl parade. Maybe this is just Bill's final act and he's, he, he, he wants to have some fun with it. So from that standpoint, go for it. I don't think it's the best, uh, I don't think it's the best football fit. 
but apparently it's the only interview he's doing. It's the only place he's interested in going. Have at it, Bill. Go for it. Um, the other thing is that I, I believe he's been interviewed for the job. No, but no, no finalist has been chosen yet. But I think Mike Rabel is the perfect fit in Seattle. I talked a little bit about this last week, but not long enough to, to put out a YouTube short or, or anything for, for you guys there. I wanted to touch on it a little bit more because I, I mentioned it in passing when talking about Vrabel and Tennessee, but I wanted to get more to it. Mike Vrabel feels like Seattle to me. Like He's a defensive guy. He played for Bill Belichick. He's very disciplined. He's a very good coach. He probably shouldn't have been fired from the Titans, but he was, whatever. Um, and then you bring him into Seattle, supposedly. He's got he's got more offensive weapons than he did in Tennessee. You know, Tennessee his un, until this last year his his only offensive weapon was Derrick Henry. I mean, he had AJ Brown and he had DeAndre Hopkins and even Julio Jones for a minute, but AJ Brown wanted out. DeAndre Hopkins has has kind of been on a decline. Julio Jones was in the middle of a steep decline. Uh, at that point, so he hasn't really had the caliber of weapons that he has that he would have if he went to Seattle. Uh, Geno Smith has has proven to be that's that he's he's found second life in Seattle. But even even without him, if something happens to Geno, Drew Locke has has stepped up in in Geno's absence in the last couple of years. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, who's still playing at a very high level. Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet as the backup doing great work. Jackson Smith and Jigba on offense. And that's not even talking about the defense. They still have Jamal Adams. And I really believe that Mike Rabel could could almost bring like a second coming of the Legion of Boom. Like Legion of Boom 2.0. Because he is a defensive guy. And I really think that Seattle has more has more draw to it than Tennessee ever did. So he so he could convince, you know, notable defensive free agents to say, hey, come, let's let's build Legion of Boom 2.0. I really believe that could happen. That's one of the reasons I think Mike Grable would be a perfect fit in Seattle. Now, I want to get back to the main the main thing that I wanted to talk about with this coaching stuff. And I I, I mentioned that only two spots have been filled so far. One of them being Antonio Pierce retaining the Raiders job. The other, and I've flip-flopped on this the last couple of weeks, I'll explain why. The Cowboys announced this week that they are retaining Mike McCarthy for the final year of his contract. This coming season will be his fifth in Dallas. Uh, this, of course, coming on the heels of an embarrassing wildcard loss to the Green Bay Packers. I cannot state that enough. On the last podcast, which was recorded before that football game, and that's the hard part, guys, about uh, about doing a once weekly podcast, because I I I record these things usually on Saturdays or Sundays in, in the morning or early afternoon, and sometimes you know, in the case of last week, I I recorded podcast before the playoff games began but before the saturday playoff games started and so then i take the content and and, and and i chop it up and i disperse it through out through the week and so sometimes 
I say something on Saturday before the games are played and then the games are played and then stuff happens throughout the week. And so the, the stuff that goes out on the, the stuff that's recorded on Saturday may go out in, 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 in the form of a short form video on a Wednesday or a Thursday, several days after it's happened. So that's the tough part about doing this. I, I don't have the, the, the freedom as of yet to do this every day. I would love to, but that's not an option for me right now. So we do it once a week. It's usually on weekends. And then stuff happens throughout the week that sometimes make the clips age somewhat poorly. And usually if I get to if I get to the 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 clips, if I get to the shorts that go out on Wednesday and something's already changed, I'll usually highlight that in the caption. But anyway, that's whatever. But last week, I, that's just my little soapbox for a minute. Uh, but last week we talked about how before the playoffs, Nick Sirianni and Mike McCarthy's seats were warm and how I didn't think it was fair. And I still don't think it's necessarily fair for Nick Sirianni. And we haven't heard anything about him being let go. And this is like heavy during the coaching search. So he's probably good, at least for a year. If the same thing happens that happened last week against Tampa next year, if, 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 if they fall apart to the tail end of the season again, He's not safe, but he should be fine. Mike McCarthy, on the other hand, has been in has been in Dallas for four years. He's gone twelve and five each of the last three years. And if and if you tell me, if you tell me that a coach comes in to to a market like Dallas and wins twelve games for three consecutive years, I'm like, yeah, he's doing a great job. But it's Dallas. And Dallas has not won an NFC Championship game since 1995. And Dallas, like the the New York Yankees, like the Los Angeles Lakers, the mark is different. The standard is different. It's championship or bust for franchises like Dallas. And they, they brought in Mike McCarthy because they were hoping to take a step forward. You know, Jason Garrett had gone eight and eight for, for multiple years in a row, gotten him, gotten into the playoffs, but nothing happened. So Jerry Jones was hoping to take a step forward. Jerry Jones is getting older. He doesn't have a lot of time left to win a Super Bowl, and he wants to win another one before he's done. But he brings in Mike McCarthy, hoping that it would happen. And in four years with Green, with Dallas, he has not made it past the divisional round. He's he he has a one and three playoff record with Dallas, eleven and eleven overall. I'll get that to get to that in a minute. But Mike McCarthy, as I mentioned last week, I said no, you don't fire McCarthy. You let him you you let him go on. Dak had the had the best season of his career. You let him keep going. Then. The game happens, and at no point against his former team was Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys in control. From moment one, Green Bay stomped him, absolutely lit him up. And Matt LaFleur, good on you. But that Green Bay team, that 9-7 and seven Green Bay team, before they took that field, 
before they dismantled the Dallas Cowboys. To some, had no business being in the playoffs. They, Jordan Love played a lot better towards the second half of the season, got them in position to do so. But a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I." a lot of people thought that, that either either Detroit or Minnesota was going to win that division. And Minnesota looked really dangerous um, after a rough start. They, they were starting to get on a heater when Kirk Cousins went down. Otherwise, you know, De- Detroit probably wins the division and Minnesota gets the wild card. So, so you could say that Green Bay was only in the wild card because of the Kirk Cousins injury, and you could be right, whatever. But a lot of people were like, this team, when, when, when you looked at the playoff field going into it, Green Bay and Tampa, for that matter, stuck out as like, should they really be here? They played in weak divisions. You know, should they, should they really be in the building? And Green Bay, especially on the off- offensive side, receivers and Jordan Love, has nobody. Essentially, this year, even though he's in his fourth year, Jordan Love's a rookie. He he's a rookie starter. He's never done it before, and um, and essentially, uh, other than AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, n- nobody on Green Bay's off the offensive side of the ball for Green Bay was past like their third year in the NFL. It was it was one of the youngest rosters in the league. Um, no no real stars on offense outside of. Aaron Jones, who spent most of the year injured. So for from that standpoint, there was no reason this Green Bay team should even be in the playoffs. And then they walk into Dallas and everybody's like, oh, Dallas is gonna gonna walk to them. They're they're destined for a date with the San Francisco 49ers and the NFC Championship, whatever. And Green Bay just lights them up. And there were moments in that game where the cameraman had to zoom out to find a Dallas defender. This Dallas defense that even a year ago and even earlier this year talking about, oh, Micah Parsons and last year Trayvon Diggs and this year Deron Bland and how good the defense has been. But then a couple times towards the end of the year here, they've gotten absolutely bum-rushed. And I use bum-rushed because Buffalo ran through them. 200-plus yards against Buffalo on the ground. And so I look at this and I look at the playoff loss and I look at Mike McCarthy in general. Like I said, last week I didn't think Mike McCarthy should get fired if they exited against against San Francisco. They didn't exit against San Francisco. Uh they exited against Green Bay and loudly. And uh, and I still don't think Sirianni should go, but that's because one year ago he was in the Super Bowl. Mike McCarthy hasn't been in a Super Bowl since 2010, which brings me to this point. In 17 years as an NFL head coach, Mike McCarthy has had his starting quarterback be three Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks. Now, I say that because Brett Favre, obvious Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers is still playing. Obvious Hall of Famer. Dak Prescott, I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's overrated, blah, 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 blah. Am I saying that he's going to make the Hall of Fame? No. But what I am saying is that if he continues to ascend 
and play at the level that he played this year, even if he even if he plateaus right where he is, right where we saw him this year, a new deck. I think, yeah, you have a Hall of Fame conversation. Now it depends on what happens the rest of his career as far as the playoffs are concerned. If he if he plays at this level in the regular season and never never wins in the playoffs, probably not. But you you could uh, unless he dips down, if if Dak play, remains this this at this level consistently for the rest of his career, you could you could make a statement like, oh, he's he's Hall of Fame, he's on the level. So. And even if you don't, you have to admit he's really, really good. But for 17 years, Mike McCarthy's had Brett Favre, Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers, future Hall of Famer, and Dak Prescott, maybe, potentially, could be Hall of Famer. And yet, he's gone 11-11 and in the playoffs, 1-3 and in Dallas, as I mentioned. He's He's won a Super Bowl, but again, that was... 14 years ago, uh, 31 to 25 over Pittsburgh, in which Aaron Rodgers was excellent and mistake-free, uh, 304 yards and three touchdowns. The the running game was non-existent, so Aaron Rodgers did it by himself. Mike McCarthy has that championship, but he has been to four NFC championships, but they've all been with Green Bay. He's only won one of them. And he hasn't been there since 2016. So I have to think, is Mike McCarthy really a good coach? Or has he been hiding behind Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and Dak Prescott, who all told this this year is yet to be seen, but but he at, at, at one point Dak Prescott was the MVP frontrunner, probably not now. But is he is is Mike McCarthy hiding behind what the the four MVP awards that those three quarterbacks have combined five potentially if the voters you know go with Dak this year and, and the more I think about it it's like seventeen years, one Super Bowl, four NFC championship appearances only one win, so so you weren't even losing in the Super Bowl, and he hasn't gotten past the divisional round, in four years in one of the biggest franchises in sports where the owner is extremely vocal and not shy at all about spending money. And Mike McCarthy over the past several years has been criticized and even and even toward towards the end of his time in Green Bay has been criticized for not making adjustments, not changing his schemes, his play calling getting stale forcing Kellen Moore out because he wanted to play call. And then for the first half of the season, that play calling was not that good because they weren't using Brandon Cooks at all. Plus, you look at that at that Super Bowl victory, that was within the first four years of McCarthy's head coaching career. So he hadn't had time to get stale yet. He was still He was still young and fresh. I really had to step back and look at it and be like, is McCarthy that good or has or has he had the benefit of Favre, Rodgers and Prescott and I'm leaning more towards that way after getting absolutely lambasted by a an inferior Green Bay team and I'm not taking anything away from Green Bay but all we heard all we heard that week was oh it's a terrible matchup for for a not so great Green Bay defense and Dallas is going that Dallas is thinking about San Francisco 
And then Green Bay from minute one just outdid Dallas at every point. Uh, you could put most of that on Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, and maybe you should. They gave up 48 points or something like that. And and Dan Quinn is still having head coaching interviews this week, which is somewhat surprising because Dan Quinn is another guy that famously doesn't make adjustments. If he did, he'd probably have a Super Bowl title of his own as a head coach. In 2016, the Falcons, which coincidentally is the last time that, as I mentioned, the last time Mike McCarthy has been the NFC Championship game. So right now in Dallas, it's a bunch of people that refuse to make adjustments, refuse to to f- go with the flow and 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 make changes based on what they're seeing. And like, oh, we're just going to do what we're going to do, and it's going to work. And then on top of that, Dallas announces they're keeping McCarthy, and then McCarthy takes the podium and delivers a very weird press conference where. He talks about, oh, Jerry and I had a long conversation. We had lots of conversations, very productive, and we're ready to move forward. And then and then the media was like, okay, well, can you tell us something about those conversations? Can you tell us what's going to change moving forward? And McCarthy's response was, can't talk about that right now. It's just too raw. But you just said you had productive conversations. How can it be productive if you didn't talk about a way forward? Go when you go in there and 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 say, "Oh, I'm sad. Oh, I'm sad too. Let's be sad together for a few more days before we figure out what to do next season." Is that what you consider productive? Because by because by your response of "I don't want to talk about it. It's still too raw." Maybe that's what all the conversation was. And so I don't understand how you can stand up there and say. We had productive conversations, we're ready to move forward, and then when when pressed about being ready to move forward, you have nothing to say. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then he talks about, we're a championship program, we know what we got to do. And it was just like, what are you talking about? And if you've seen the, the clip of Stephen A. Smith, he couldn't believe it either. It's like, what are you talking about? You haven't made it past the divisional round. You You, you just got embarrassed days ago. The team that did that to you hasn't even played their next game, and you're out here, we're a championship program. Championship of what? Championship of the NFC East? Because there hasn't been a a back-to-back winner in years, so it's not like you're dominating the division. And even if you you did, who cares? You're in Dallas. The mark is different. So, So for Dallas to keep hanging on to... A week ago, I would have said, okay, fine. Probably the way it should go. Today. And after hearing what Mike McCarthy had to say on the podium, I'm wildly confused as to what Jerry Jones is looking for. It's it's becoming more and more clear that Jerry Jones says he wants a Super Bowl, but he's not willing to do what it takes to win a Super Bowl. I I made a rather bold um, suggestion on social media this week. And and I asked y'all to hear me out and I'll put it up I'll put it up on the screen for us while I'm talking about it. Is that I mentioned and this is still possible next year because Mike McCarthy's contract's up and I don't foresee Dallas winning the Super Bowl because I don't think that much is going to change next year. So he'll be out and then and then so this could still happen and I and I think it's the right call. Is that I said that you know, we talked about Belichick and we talked about Harbaugh, and I don't think Belichick was the right fit because I don't think he would have put up with 
Jerry Jones, which is a real thing you have to consider when you talk about the Cowboys job. Because Jerry is very vocal, some would say more than he should be. And I thought about who fits. And I thought about Sean McVay. He's still one of the more innovative coaches in the NFL. All the coaches that we've seen get the job recently. Like the new coaches coming to the league, they're, they're either from the Sean McVay tree or the Kyle Shanahan tree. Two of the two of the more innovative and fun coaches in the league right now. And I look at Sean McVay and I said, yeah, you know, the Rams were good this year. They they made a surprise return to the playoffs after a down year the year before. Potential offensive rookie of the year, Puka Nakua, was there. Matt Stafford kind of had a, a, a resurgent year. He, he was able to stay healthy with his elbow problems. Aaron Donald was was there all year. You know, there, there were some really good things, but I think about it, and I said, a rebuild is coming with the Rams. Because... Matthew Stafford is nearing 40 and his elbow is not going to hold up forever. And Aaron Donald has been, and, and, and I said all this in the post, but in case you didn't see the post, I'll tell you what I said. Aaron Donald has been playing chicken with retirement for three, four years now. So he's probably not going to be in the league much longer. Cooper Cup has had a lot of injuries and, and, and looked a step off when he's come back the last couple of years. Maybe he needs to change the scenery. So a rebuild is coming. So I thought, maybe Sean McVay, maybe one of the more exciting coaches in the NFL might not want to stick around for a rebuild. What might he do? Dallas comes to mind. He'd have Dak Prescott if they work out a new contract. He'd have CeeDee Lamb they could likely convince Brandon Cooks to come back because he's been on one-year contracts for half of his career. They have a defense. They have Micah Parsons. They have Trayvon Diggs coming back. And one of your main problems with Mike McCarthy is play calling. Is it becoming stale and predictable and boring? Sean McVay is innovative and exciting. It... And I don't think he would mind as much about Jerry Jones being vocal because Sean McVay is also pretty vocal and would welcome Jerry's like, oh, just throw money at us because that's kind of what Jerry does. So to me, Sean McVay makes a lot of sense, whether it be, the, whether it be uh, well, with them retaining McCarthy, it'll be next year, if anything. But that's something that I'll be looking out for over the course of the next year. Because I think it could fit. I think it fits really well. That being said, I want to move on to the games that are actually being played today. We are just a couple hours away from the divisional round kicking off. As I said, it's kind of hard to, to do these on a Saturday or Sunday and then have it remain fresh throughout the week, but that's just the way we got to do it. We have Houston and Baltimore kicking it off at 4.30 Eastern, followed by San Francisco and Green Bay tonight. And then... And Detroit and Tampa and Buffalo and Kansas City tomorrow on Sunday. It's it's going to be a great weekend for football. The way I think about this is I really like what Houston's done this year. I really like C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans and what they have going on there. But I think Baltimore, I think this is Baltimore's year, at least to win the AFC. 
with the offensive coordinator changes, Lamar Jackson has flourished with the with the fall off of the Dallas Cowboys. Lamar Jackson probably wins the MVP. And I just think, not to mention that the Baltimore defense is statistically one of, if not the best in the NFL. C.J. Stroud has not looked shaken by anything this season, but if something was going to shake him, I believe it's going to be the Baltimore Ravens. But with that being said, Mark Andrews isn't playing. I don't believe Marlon Humphrey is playing in this game. And C.J. Stroud and the Texans can make that big play happen better than anybody. And I think that's what it's going to take. For I do think Houston's going to keep it close. I think they're too good not to keep it close. But I think it's going to take three or four huge plays for them to win this game. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think Baltimore is the one seed for a reason. We've already seen two pretty big upsets in the postseason, but I just think Baltimore is too good, too fundamentally sound at home in the elements for this to go any other way. San Francisco and Green Bay, I'm excited about, but again, I think I think Green Bay had about a a perfect day against Dallas. And if 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 the defense can look that good against Dallas, maybe they can look that good against anybody, but if there's one team in the NFC that is more fundamentally sound than what we thought Dallas was. It's San Francisco. San Francisco has had a few missteps this season, but it was against Baltimore in in a potential Super Bowl preview. It was against Cleveland when their defense was at its peak. It was against Minnesota when Kirk before Mark, Kirk Cousins got hurt when they were when they were heating up. They had won, I think, five in a row at that point. So it was against teams. It was against Cincinnati before Burrow got injured. So it was against good teams. San Francisco doesn't lose to inferior teams. And as good as as the defense was against Dallas, it's still got its problems. And Dallas clearly wasn't able to exploit those problems. Because, again, Mike McCarthy's play calling needs help. But I think, I think San Francisco, if San Francisco's firing on all cylinders, it's going to be a boat race. But even if San Francisco comes out and they're not their best, I still think they're better. I, I, don't, I don't expect Green Bay's defense to have, they're going to need a, they're, they're, they're going to need a second perfect day in a row to beat San Francisco, and I don't see that happening. So San Francisco wins it for me. Um, I, I do believe Detroit and Tampa will be a lot closer because Baker Mayfield played really well against Philadelphia, and I know Philadelphia's defense is bad, but they were also in the elements, and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin looked great, and Baker Mayfield was was really, really good. They're not in the elements this time. They're playing in a dome in Detroit. Detroit, at times, as good as they have been, has looked very beatable this season. Their running game is excellent, but Jared Goff, as good as he is, 
has had some turnover issues. Detroit's secondary is a bit of a problem, so Mike Evans and Chris Godwin could exploit that in a hurry. I do think Detroit wins it. I think it's close, something like 24-20. to 20. I think that's going to be a good game. And then the game I'm most excited for, and I'm sure you are as well, the the rematch, again, of Kansas City and Buffalo. Kansas City has beaten Buffalo both times they've met in the playoffs. But this is the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career that he is playing a road playoff game in Buffalo. It's going to be cold. Uh, if you saw if you saw the stands last week, people were just sitting on snowbanks in the stands. I don't think it's going to be quite that cold. It's still going to be really cold. We've seen Kansas City's receiver problems. We've you know the defense has been great, but we've seen the receiver problems. And Josh Allen, again, is an MVP candidate this year, and this is his chance. This is the first time they've played. Kansas City in Buffalo. They're at home. Kansas City's had the problems it's had. Buffalo's on a heater because uh, they were 6-6, six and six, and now they're in the playoffs. I think they've won six in a row, all told. They're on a heater. This is Josh Allen's moment to to let us know if he's, to, to quote ESPN for the last couple of weeks, to let us know if he's Clark Kent or Superman. This is Josh Allen's moment, and I think even with defensive injuries and even with you know all that stuff, I still think that Buffalo is the better team, and I think I think Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills come out on top finally in this one in the playoffs. And so that that would leave us with Baltimore and Buffalo in the AFC and Detroit and San Francisco in the NFC as the final four. And I've I've kind of predicted for at least the second half of the season on that the Super Bowl was going to be Baltimore and San Francisco. That's the one I'm most hoping for. Obviously, if you saw my my postseason predictions uh, right before the postseason started, that would have that would have told you again it would that it would be a rematch of Kansas City and Philadelphia. Obviously, that's not going to happen, uh, and that's why you, that, that's why they play the games on the field in real life. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with the games right on Saturday afternoon, right before we play them. We got two hours before. Uh, Houston and Baltimore kicks off and I am excited for a good a great weekend of football get comfortable on your couch and don't leave because it's going to be great uh before we get out of here oh one other thing I wanted to touch on in regards to the Dallas Cowboys and Mike McCarthy is and not really about Mike McCarthy but but Mike McCarthy's success in the regular season and 12 wins for three straight years and 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 winning the division and getting to the playoffs and losing to the playoffs, it reminds me of the 2006 San Diego Chargers where Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach at the time and Phillip Rivers was the quarterback. And they went 14-2. and two. They were the one seed in the AFC and they lost in the first round of the playoffs. And Marty Schottenheimer got fired, I think, the day after. And it's because Marty Schottenheimer's a great coach. But in in five seasons in San Diego, he went 47 and, and 33. It's, it's pretty good. He he won two division championships, which is not anything to sneeze at, given kind of the history of San Diego where they haven't had a lot of success. 
So so it's not too bad. But they did. They were zero and two in the playoffs. They failed to win a playoff game in in the in the five years that Marty Schottenheimer was there. So he was fired after going fourteen and two. And I remember I that that I remember that vaguely. I was in middle school when that happened, and it still sticks out in my mind so vividly to this day that I couldn't believe that they would do that. Um, but he didn't win in the playoffs, and that's what you got to do. And to the point I was saying earlier is that Mike McCarthy's had a lot more talent the quarterback position than Marty Schottenheimer did. Uh, he, he started his tenure with Drew Brees, who was not quite the same Drew Brees that we saw for most of his career in, in, in New Orleans. He was a young Drew Brees. He was still good, still good. Not, not the great Drew Brees that we saw, but he had Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers. One definite Hall of Famer, one possible Hall of Famer. I don't believe so, and I'll get into that in a minute. I believe Dak Prescott is be- is 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 better than Philip Rivers, skill wise. He's 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 more talented, um, and more athletic, and has more facets to his game than Philip Rivers is. And I've, I I was never a big Philip Rivers fan. He Philip Rivers had a one thirty four and one hundred six record in in the regular season. He was the epitome of a regular season quarterback. And I know everybody wants to talk about um, Peyton Manning being the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. If if you can give that a, a title like that to someone. I know everybody wants to talk about Peyton Manning being the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. But Phillip Rivers is the definition of a regular season quarterback. He was 134 and 106. He had 421 touchdowns, 209 interceptions, which is a heck of a lot better than the seemingly 1-to-1 TD interception ratio that I remember. It was more like 2-to-1 in, in the regular season, at least. Um, but then he'd get to the playoffs, and Phillip Rivers, in 12 postseason games, was 5-7 and seven and only played in one conference championship game, and that was early in his career. As I mentioned, Phillip Rivers in his career have been, will be forever linked to, to two people. One being Drew Brees, the player that he took over for in San Diego, and one being Eli Manning, the player that he was traded for on draft day after Eli was drafted number one overall by the Chargers and Philip Rivers by the Giants, and Eli Manning saying, I don't want to play for the Chargers, please trade me. They did. So those two players are forever linked. So so I personally believe that Philip Rivers is not a Hall of Famer. Because, yes, he does have a lot of the San Diego slash L.A. Chargers franchise records, but I expect that Justin Herbert will break many of those and have more success in the playoffs. Should should Jim Harbaugh get the job, have more success in the playoffs than Phillip Rivers ever did. And I just there's nothing in Phillip Rivers' career other than you played in one city for 13 years that says this guy should be a Hall of Famer. Now... You look at the two guys that he's forever linked with, and and you say, oh well, well Philip Rivers had a five and seven playoff record, while Drew Brees only had a nine and nine record. It's like yeah, but Drew Brees in the playoffs won a Super Bowl, had more NFC Championship game appearances, had a better completion percentage, had a higher passer rating, had a higher yards per game average by over fifty yards. And it generally one of the greatest statistical quarterbacks of all time. So Drew Brees is there. And and those are just playoff statistics, by the way. Drew Brees 
is one of the all-time greats as far as regular season st uh, statistics as well. Try saying that many times fast when it's cold. It's difficult. Statistics. So then we go to Eli Manning, who a lot of people think that Eli Manning is, is a fringe Hall of Famer. And my answer to that is, Philip Rivers was a better regular season quarterback than Eli Manning. Statistically, there's no way around it. Uh, he had he had I think like three thousand more yards. He had um, higher passer rating, more yards per game, all the things in the regular season. But the thing that I think Eli Manning pushes Eli Manning over the top, where I think Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer, and Philip Rivers is not, is because Eli Manning got it done when it mattered. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls and subsequently two Super Bowl MVPs and did them both as a wildcard team, meaning he had to get through one more game uh, than, than some. And some might push back to me on that and say, oh, well, Phillip Rivers didn't, you know, he had to go through Tom Brady in the AFC and he had to go through Peyton Manning in the AFC. And my answer to that is, Eli Manning had to go through Tom Brady twice in the biggest game. Eli Manning is 2-0 against Tom Brady on the biggest stage. One of those, the first one, in 2007, against the undefeated New England Patriots team, arguably the greatest football team of all time, and Eli Manning got it done on the biggest stage. Two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, even though... Philip Rivers has the regular season numbers over over Eli Manning. Eli Manning had the better career because of those two trophies and two MVPs. Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer. Philip Rivers hasn't done anything to me that said this is one of the because we're we're getting a little too lax when we talk about oh is so and so a future Hall of Famer. And it's like oh they had a good career heck yeah, you know it's kind of same thing as as number retirements. I feel like number retirements are reserved for the best of the best. And the Hall of Fame is the best of the best of the best. It is a, there's a reason it's like hallowed ground. The Hall of Fame. The people that will be remembered above anyone else for the rest of history. And the only thing Philip Rivers has when it comes to that is longevity. Congratulations. The longevity, for the most part, unless you're Tom Brady and, and drink no alcohol and have no sugar and take ridiculous care of yourself. Longevity, there's a lot of luck involved in that. I'm not saying it's not something, because you do have to take care of yourself, but there's a lot of luck involved in 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 longevity. So there's nothing that Philip Rivers has done that's like, oh yeah, he's definitely a Hall of Famer to me. Numbers? Okay. Numbers in November. Numbers in October. Where were the numbers in January? They weren't there. Real quick, because this ended up being just as long as last week, apologize for that. A couple things that are are non NFL. I want to touch on is something really really cool that happened this week. Is is the Cubs finally made noise in the off season. They hadn't made a trade or a signing or anything until they got until they signed the latest Japanese import. Sorry if I butcher the name. A starting pitcher Shota Imanaga. He he signs with with the Chicago Cubs and during his introductory press conference. He's sitting up there, he's wearing the jersey, he's got the hat on, and he leans over to the microphone, and his English is pretty good. And he and he leans over, and this man, this man knows how to how to, you know, 
dramatic effect. In English, he goes, Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. And the place went nuts. This man, is his jersey is about to sell out wherever you buy your jerseys. Maybe don't make it fanatics because their quality is poor. But wherever you buy your jerseys or your t-shirts, his jersey's about to sell out quickly. Like, that is, I know a lot of Chicago Cubs fans. My Some of my best friends are from Chicago, and they love him already. It's the perfect way to endear yourself to your new franchise, to a new, in a new country. I think it's going to be great, and I'm excited to see what he does with the Cubs. But that was just a really, really cool moment in his press conference of one of the proudest franchises in sports to just, hey, I'm, I'm going to do it. And here we go. That is super, super cool. Good luck to him this coming season as it's getting close. We're a month away from spring training starting. Super exciting. It's awesome. Now, LeBron James. Things have not gone super well during his tenure with the Lakers. They do have the championship in 2020, but that you know, there's an asterisk on that for a lot of reasons. Some people say it's an easier title. Some people say it's a harder title. I'm not here to talk about that. But other than that championship, the team, the teams haven't been good. It's been, it's been failed chemistry experiments over and over and over. And you can see the frustrating mounting for LeBron and Anthony Davis this year as the Lakers are currently 21 and 22. And look, I'm not, I'm not giving Anthony Davis a pass because there are still days where Anthony Davis just doesn't show up. He'll he'll go for 30 points and 10 rebounds one night, and the next night he shoots three for 26. Uh, that's that's at this point we realize that's who Anthony Davis is. He takes games off, and I I, I use that term specifically because of you know the the resting players rule that has been put into place to avoid load management, which I appreciate. I am not a fan of load management at all. Um, but that being said, LeBron James is still the focal point of the team, and he's and, and, he, and he will be until he leaves. But he is 39 years old, and the the plan going into the year was to kind of like take the foot off the gas when it comes to LeBron as far as like usage in the regular season minutes wise. And to put him on kind of a minutes restriction to kind of to to keep him together. He's 39 years old. He's been a, there's been a lot of mileage on that body, and yet from the moment the season started, that it was clear that that wasn't going to work. And LeBron James of the 43 has played 39 of them. I think he had a couple of nagging injuries that held him out of a couple of games, but he's played in 39 of the 43 games played 34 minutes and he's averaging 24 points like he's having to carry this team and so he did sign an extension that that keeps him in LA through next year but with player movement you know and I think that that I think next year might be an option too so he could potentially leave after this year is like He's he's gonna play next year because he's he said that he wants to play with his son, but Bronny's averaging like five points a game at USC. He had his heart thing, so I don't know if that's gonna happen, especially not next year. I think it would be a mistake for for Bronny to enter the draft after one year because USC 
the team hasn't played well. He's averaged like five points a game. Um, so he's probably at least two years out. I don't know if LeBron has two years in him. But with that being said, he he wants to win. And I don't think him winning is happening in Los Angeles. I I say he has he has one to two years. Let's say two. Let's say he has two years and he plays till he's 41. There was a report this week that while at a playoff game in LA last season, Kyrie Irving expressed interest in in teaming up with LeBron James again before LeBron retires, whether that be in LA or in Dallas. Now, since he reportedly said that, Kyrie has signed a three-year deal to stay in Dallas, so that rules out LA. Plus, I don't know why you'd want to go to LA right now anyway, but that brings up an interesting idea. LeBron James playing out the rest of his career in Dallas. We know Mark Cuban wants to win more than anything, and we'll do whatever it takes. And and the idea of LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and Luka Doncic teaming up would be so exciting. I am I I don't think that'd be considered a super team because LeBron James would be 40 years old. Uh, but it would it would be fun uh, for sure. And I don't think you'd have to give up as hefty and after an asking price as you would a few years earlier because again LeBron James is 39 years old so you could get him with with some draft picks and maybe some 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 bench players on Dallas but you could build you could build around Luka Kyrie and LeBron pretty easily and it would allow LeBron to take a back seat to Luka and Kyrie which is something he looks like he wanted to do this year and then it just didn't happen so the the idea, I I'd be surprised if if LeBron stays in LA for the final couple of years of his career because it's just, it's not going well, and uh, it seems to be getting worse actually. And the idea of Dallas, with with a vocal owner, uh, something about the city of Dallas inviting lo- vocal owners to be involved with Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones, but Mark Cuban definitely wants to win more than anything. I'm convinced he would do what it takes to bring LeBron James to Dallas, and then who knows? Trades up in the draft, somehow gets Bronny James if he does decide to come out early. Who knows? But the idea of LeBron James in Dallas is very interesting. But that's all the time I have for you. This one did get, end up going on a little longer. I apologize for that. I am Roman Gennaro of Empire Sports Talk, my mom's favorite podcast. Stay warm if you're in the snow, if you're in a part of the country where it's snowing like crazy. Get warm on the couch, watch some great playoff football coming your way later today, and I'll see you next time.